0: The Natural Hat Trick, hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan. And Steve Peters. Welcome into episode 285 of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast. Luke Lipinski alongside Craig Morgan, the no-cal natty-hattie. Oh, fancy. And Steve oh. Peters.
1: Welcome in. Yeah, Craig Craig on vacation, Airbnb it through Cali. Nice. This is.
0: uh... Craig, is this your tenth vacation of the year, or how, how does this work? I've lost count, Luke. Really, I yeah. think
1: every day in the Craig Morgan House is a vacation,
2: isn't it? I like to, uh, you know, I like to visit the homes that we own around the world once in a while. <laughs> keep
0: tabs on them, also. So, is Phoenix? Is that actually your primary home, or is that just one of your homes that you travel to? I don't really want to call any one place uh, my home, Luke. I don't want to offend anyone. You know, I like okay, to with everyone wherever I am. Yeah, that makes sense. You don't. You don't want to. You don't want to overcommit. The life. I'm of just, a journalist. Just wondering if you have like a, 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 NorCal Coyotes insider website and like, uh, a Colorado Coyotes insider website, but I guess we'll find out. It's an interesting thought. Yeah. Still time. All right, guys. Let's, uh, let's start with the, uh, let's start with the Stanley Cup, which is technically not over yet. Uh, as we record, it is 3-0 Tampa. Um, I found a couple of things interesting. Uh, Montreal Twitter turning on Kerry Price as if it's his fault and, uh, I really enjoyed – this was really more so last series, but it's uh, it's looking more absurd now. Montreal Twitter comparing Philip Deneau to Mark Stone. One <laughs> <see> of – <laughs> like what 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 did I miss? I think – didn't Deneau just get his first goal of the playoffs in game three? Yes. Yeah. So you can go ahead and start with either one of those. I, I think the fact – You bad. know, Beth, he's a good defensive forward. I guess you can make that
2: comparison, but – yeah. Uh, a part of his game is missing if you want to compare him to Mark Stone.
0: <laughs> yeah, the part where he puts up, like, 70 points a season. Yeah, that part.
1: I am concerned about the carry pricing from the the fan side. You know, honestly, if you go look at every goal that's been scored in this series, there's been so many pucks that one price hasn't seen. The turnovers tight around the net bounces off players like it's just been one of those series where it's just been really bad luck for the Montreal Canadiens and Tampa's clearly dominated play. Clearly, except for the first was it the, the first ten minutes was it game two? The first ten minutes of game two, where Vasilevsky was out of his mind. Um, so you do have to give the goalie nod to Tampa. Um, I just think Montreal's out of gas. I just think you know Cinderella's home. Midnight struck. They went as far as they could go, and the wind's out of their sails, and they're just trying to survive right now.
2: But we were told this wasn't a fluke. <laughs>
1: yeah. <Sorry. laughs>
2: the,
0: yeah. Wow. He's he a straight to it was a long time coming with Montreal. You could see it coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah you could when you put him in a division with Toronto and Winnipeg and Vancouver and Edmonton and Calgary. Oh. What, do what do you think Vegas say? and
1: Toronto is saying right now when they're watching this series? Do you think the Vegas Golden Knights ownership and management are looking at this going, why are we not playing in this series? How did we lose? Yeah, how did we lose? I, I think they have to be. I think you know this is going to be a long, hard look in the mirror for for that club specifically. And I know it's a team that's been to the fi- the semifinals three out of four years, but you still look at that's a team that's disappointed in their outcome. And when you watch them this series, they they have to believe they should have been there. They they were given the team on the platter that they thought they could beat, and, and here they're sitting at home watching the series. It's got to be devastating for that team because their window, honestly, is going to start to close. Agreed.
0: How has that team not either won a cup or been to more cups? In the, how about a cup in the last three years? I mean, Vegas has been, like Petey just said, they've been to the, the conference finals or I guess the semifinals this year. Three of the four years they've been in existence. So you can't be upset with what they've done. But it's like they over exceeded expectations certainly that first year. But the second year they had that weird penalty in game seven against the Sharks in the first round. I thought that team was was better than the inaugural season team. And then last year, you end up uh, just missing the Stanley Cup against Dallas. And then this year, I, I mean, is, is this something where they've just played so many additional playoff games over the last four years that they run out of gas? Because there's no excuse to lose to Montreal if you're Vegas in the best of seven I think,
1: series. I think they took it too light. I, I think they went into this series going, OK, this is the team we're going to beat. We just have to show up for four games and we'll move on. I am sure in the room it took them f- till they were, you know, backs against the wall, as they say, till I go, oh, no good grief we could actually lose this series and i think it was by then it was too late and it's funny when you talk about expectations of a team can you imagine if the arizona coyotes were in the in, in the semifinals three of the last four years <laughs> there would be 10 year contracts there'd be parades and, and in vegas it's it's not good enough it's not good enough so can yeah me i ask
2: you this uh, like when when you when you you would know this you've been in around these things obviously far more than luke and i ever have when you upset a, a team, and I, I guess I can't even call it an upset being Colorado, but I think everybody thought Colorado was going to be in the cup final. When you overcome, when you slay the giant, can there be just uh, a little bit of a letdown, an emotional, psychological letdown when you move to the next round, especially when you see a team that clearly is not as good as Colorado?
1: It's absolutely the truth. And, and you can sit there and say it in the media. No, we're not looking past Montreal or no, that, you know, we know that they're a good team. I, it's what you say in the media it's not what you say in the room it's not what you feel you no one ever says it out loud no one ever says oh we we rolled we got through Colorado now we're going to roll through Montreal no one says it out loud but everybody in that room is feeling it from the coaches to the trainers I, I it's a feeling that 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 people thought Colorado was the best team in the NHL all season long they talked about a preseason this is the team they got through Colorado and they go it's just this big sigh of relief that you, you 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 did you got through that round that you didn't think you'd get to. Now it's Montreal. I mean, it's a team that was eighteenth. They can't score. They can only defend with great goaltending. We're better. Yeah. And and I I think it's really hard to approach that. And we've seen this throughout this entire playoffs how important. You know, momentum is how important, you know, mentality of a game is and, 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 how you feel as a group. And that's why Montreal was winning because winning breeds winning and it just kind of rolls and they started to believe. And there's no way that Vegas should not be in this final against Tampa. I mean, it's great for Canadian hockey fans that it's, that it's not, but this is where Montreal is. I mean, they, they're hanging on, um, against Tampa. And honestly, I don't think Tampa's played their best hockey yet. <laughs>
2: I want to go back to two points and then hand it over to Luke. I, you, Petey, you brought up a really good point about turnovers. Um, Mike Kelly, who does a terrific job for NHL network and sport logic, had a, a graphic today looking at, uh, goals scored against within 10 seconds of a turnover, uh, against Winnipeg and Vegas in 10 games. That happened to Montreal four times, four goals against, uh, uh in those 10 games against Tampa. In three games, they've had nine goals scored against within 10 seconds of a turnover. Great stat, which really illustrates what you're talking about. But going back to what you brought up initially, Luke, with Carey Price, it's amazing that you can turn on a guy who is the biggest reason why you have reached the cup final. And and without him, there's no way you were in the cup final. How do you turn on that guy at this point?
0: It's it's ridiculous, but it's also the reason I love Canadian hockey teams because they're just so unreasonable sometimes. And it's not all of them, but certainly Montreal and Toronto. I mean, they were freaking out on Carey Price after the first two games, two games in which Montreal had scored two total goals. So were they expecting two shutouts by Carey Price against Tampa Bay? Because that's the only way they're winning those games. And it goes back to what Petey said. This team can't score. It's been this way even, even in the playoffs. If they score first, they I give them a ton of credit for being a gritty team, and and this has been a nice run and everything. But, I mean, they don't belong at, at this level with Tampa Bay. They look like they're playing two different sports. And, and look, if you look at their run now, they beat Toronto. I thought that was awesome. Toronto's also kind of head cases when they get in the playoffs. They beat Winnipeg, okay. I mean, I thought Winnipeg might be better than they were, but it was hard to judge uh, considering everybody at that point was still locked into their divisions. Vegas, I don't know. But uh, Montreal, I mean, we didn't we haven't done a show since the the cup started so we didn't offer our predictions but was anybody giving Montreal more than a 5 game loss to Tampa? No. Cuz I I just I mean and it's it's only like I I mean are you high on Montreal next year if you're a Canadiens fan? I think some people
2: are. I think there are people out there who look at some of their underlying numbers, expected goals, or the 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 chances they're creating and say yes. This was that's where that narrative of this was a a long time coming. You could see this coming came from, but I don't buy it at all. I don't buy it at all. We've we've talked about, you know, nonlinear progression. And I mean, this is this is without question the poster team for nonlinear progression next season. I do not think Montreal is anything more than a mediocre hockey team. This was a Cinderella run, and even when you ride a hot goaltender, a lot of teams can ride a hot goaltender and have these Cinderella runs. Rarely do those teams, almost never do those teams, actually go all the way and win the cup. At some point, the clock strikes midnight, and that team's team's exposed for what they are, an incomplete
1: club. And I don't think this is a team that once the divisions are realigned to to the way they normally are, I don't think this team makes the playoffs next year, more Ooh, or less. Imagine It's like a final. You know, And it, 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 there is a chance that they win the game tonight. And I tell you what, it, it, we talked about managing the puck. Between the blue lines is this entire game tonight. If they can- can keep it along the wall and keep it out of the hands uh, of the Tampa Bay Lightning to have a chance. But the bigger issue for tonight's game, I read an article on this this morning, is the mentality and the mindset of the Tampa Bay Lightning winning in Montreal. Their family and the friends were not allowed to cross the border. You're, you're looking at a small crowd of 2,500 in Montreal knowing that if somehow you lose tonight, you go home to a full stadium with your family and friends and your kids and your wife. I... Of all the games in the series, this is one that Montreal might actually win. And I, I, I keep saying it over again, beating this drum. There's so much to the, the mental side of this game. The Tampa Bay players aren't going to say it. They want to close it out. They want to finish tonight. But there are guys in that room that want to hold the cup with their kid, their wife, their dad, their fans. I guarantee it. So it, does that slip into their minds and they lose this tonight? I wouldn't be surprised. Montreal by one tonight wouldn't surprise me.
0: Boy, that's a slippery slope to go down if you're Tampa Bay. If you even let that creep in your head, one game away from the Stanley Cup. Wait, before we move on, PD, I want to ask you about this, though, what you were saying about Vegas and just how a team can kind of lose their edge after, you know, you beat Colorado, then you get a best of seven against, against a team like Montreal. As a coach, can you tell when that's about to happen? Even if it's not said, like, can you tell like "Ah, our guys don't, don't have that edge tonight?
1: You do. You feel it in the room. You feel it when guys get to the rink. You can feel it in the chatter, you know, before and between periods. And it's hard for coaches to manufacture that feeling when it doesn't exist. And it's a challenge for coaches. And it's funny because after Vegas got knocked out I read the paper the next morning looking to see if Pete DeBoer was in trouble um, most organizations would be praising the guy and giving him a, an extension but in Vegas wouldn't have surprised me if some people were in hot water there so that's it's hard for a coach to manufacture emotions that don't exist
2: before we move on from the cup final I want to ask you guys this Petey, You you brought up the possibility and I think it's a strong possibility of the Canadians actually missing the postseason next year Tampa did that after they went to the cup final against the Blackhawks in 2015 and lost. But now that they're on the cusp of winning their second cup in a row. And I think this is uh, this would be like five conference finals in the past six seasons. Where do we put this franchise, assuming they close this out in the recent history of great teams when we're talking about maybe those Blackhawks or the Penguins who granted theirs were spread out, but they had incredible consistency at least in making the playoffs in that
0: whole stretch. Where does Tampa belong in this argument? I think they're right there, aren't they? I mean, Pittsburgh won back-to-back in, what, 16 and 17. That was the first time anybody had won back-to-back since the 90s, and Tampa's going to win back-to-back. Um, I guess I, I don't always buy into the whole argument if it's just like exactly whoever has more rings is instantly the better team. Um, but you're talking about three really good runs here over the last 20 years. So I guess I would still put Tampa third of the three, but the back to back that is that's that coupled with what you just said of the fact that they've been to the conference finals a ton, other than that year where they melted down against Columbus. Yeah, I mean that's they and the thing is, and this is what I, I found it interesting the people that are mainly Canadians fans were overlooking. They just thought they had this huge advantage in net in the series. Andre Vasilevsky is just as good as Kerry Price is right now, and and, and that's showing. Tampa can play dirty. Uh They can they can score. I mean, they can just put up six goals on you on any given night. Like they can do it a lot of different ways. I'll say this: even even Pittsburgh's team, some of those years, like that that uh, year they beat the Sharks, they I still don't know how they did that defensively. I mean, they were so thin on the blue line. Tampa, in terms of just being well rounded, is uh is ridiculous.
1: Yeah. It's funny though, but you when you put that out there on paper, Craig, you, they do belong clearly because the proof is in the pudding. But Somehow it doesn't feel like they are. And I, and I don't know why it does. When you look at those Chicago teams, you think of powerhouse offense with guys that could defend and their goaltending was just okay. They didn't have that complete mix. And as Craig or Luke alluded to, neither did Pittsburgh. This is the most complete team of the three from goaltending, defense and, and offensive output. I, I don't know psychologically. I don't put them in that same mix right now. Maybe after they win the cup and hoist it again, I will. Does the fact that the last two, you know, both of these cups were during the pandemic and it, you know different divisions, different season, one's in the bubble, one's in a in a strange division, does that take away from it? I, I don't know. Um, but uh, on paper, they're they're just as dynamic or more powerful than than the other two teams we talked about. I don't know if it's because they're not, you know, from an uh, a hockey hotbed? I don't know, but it's, there's something about it is different?
2: It could be that that market thing, because remember, one of those black box cups came in a shortened season as well. That yeah, 2012 13 season was shortened, and they just, I mean, they just basically got hot, and then suddenly the playoffs were there, and <laughs> they were still on that streak.
1: Yeah, yeah t- t- You just feel that this year, though, that that, and I think from the outset, I, I've got almost every series wrong that I picked if throughout this entire playoffs. The only thing I did pick is I had Tampa Bay winning the cup. So I, I think that they have been the dominant team throughout this season. Um that you could look at with the injuries that they had and they were still competing. Um they, they did have the you know a goaltender that's a Vesnick candidate that's a great goaltender. I think they had the most complete package of all the teams in the league this year. And again, next year all bets are off, divisions are back to normal. Um it's gonna be I think Fans can be excited to see things get get back to the way they used to be, as it were, and then see how these teams can compete.
0: I'd also like to point out, Craig, uh, Pittsburgh. All three of their cups were full seasons, and there's there's no question you can <laughs> wow. not even, even look at those wow. and have any sort of uh, asterisks or anything. Um, last thing too on this cup, as as much as we're laughing at Montreal, I love that that in the NHL there is that ability for a Cinderella story. Like I, I don't I don't want to diminish what they did, but no, I mean if you're telling me going forward. I don't have high expectations for Montreal. It, I feel the way I felt about Vancouver last year, and I'm still convinced like Canucks fans think their team is winning the Cup this year, like <laughs> tonight.
1: Yeah, Luke, I, but to end that, I, I don't want to d- diminish what Montreal did at all, and not laughing at them at all. They're a team that they overachieved. They, they, they played with their hearts this whole entire playoff season. It just finally caught up to them. They're, Tampa's a better team. But no. I, to take, you can't take any of the way as a team and a group from what Montreal has accomplished because they beat some really good hockey teams along the way. So yeah, by no means laughing, but don't look for them to do this next year. No. I, I, I don't see it.
0: Uh, let's go local here. The Coyotes have officially found their new coach. I actually just talked to him earlier today and, uh, and very similar to how Craig has described him. Very, uh, very, I don't know what the word would be. Craig like agreeable excited just to talk hey, about hockey like he's just life. warm he's he's a great storyteller I yeah I mean
2: you can you can lock into a conversation with Andre Turini very quickly and, and just really enjoy it and and obviously you know we're reporters so we like that sort of thing anyway but he, he can spin yarns with you all day and that's it, it's great just talking to him on that level and that's what you hear about him from the ex-players from the the assistant coaches from the executives that work with him as well it's He's he's definitely a guy who builds culture by connecting with
0: people. Yeah, this is, you know, we, we talked about before his name officially came up, um, we talked about just the sort of coach the Coyotes are probably looking for with a younger team. And you want a guy that's got experience. He's got experience at a lot of different levels. This is obviously his first NHL head coaching job, but he does have experience coaching younger players, certainly at the junior level. And I do, I mean, we don't know what the Coyotes roster is going to look like, so I can't. Can't go too deep into the whole like oh you're going to be coaching all these young players, but he, he uh he said a, he said a few interesting things since he got hired, the one of them where he just where he will have a set of rules, and that's kind of those are the rules he's going with like he seems like a very like you said personable guy but also a disciplinarian if he needs to be, yeah,
2: what were your impressions of him in your conversation? I don't know how what you guys talked about when you talked to him
0: um i just i mean he seems very excited to do this job he seems very excited to be able to sink his teeth into it you know he's got a couple years with this team um again it's sort of tough without knowing exactly who the roster is i would guess he has a slightly better idea than the rest of us do who's going to be on the roster but obviously a lot is up in the air um but he just seems excited to get started honestly and uh and he does he seems like a guy that is I mean, he said, and he said this on a couple of occasions now, he's not, you know, if he has a, a team role, it's not for these three players, but not for player, you know, A, B or C or whatever. Like it's, it's for everyone. So I'm interested to see how that plays with this younger group. But, you know, at the same time, that's not a bad thing.
2: No. And there's that classic story from the World Junior Championship where I think it was, it was Dylan Cousins and Kirby Dock who were one minute late on the ice for practice and he pulled them aside and, and it was mutually agreed upon. As At least we heard it was mutually agreed upon that they would not be practicing that day. So one minute late, I mean, you as he put it, like when you start to assign feelings to rules, well, OK, which excuse is better than he said? It, it takes a genius to figure out all, all that out. And I'm not a genius. So you lay one set of ground rules. And, and yes, you have to have some. You have to have some intelligence behind those rules. It can't just like, you can't just be black and white. Okay. This rule doesn't make sense, but once you've established those rules, they're in place and everybody will abide by them
1: no matter who they are. Greg, a few things. One, you are in charge of the Natty Hatties pronunciation key for the head coach of the Arizona <laughs> Coyotes throughout the remainder of this broadcast okay. because you do it. The role your r's is better than anybody I've heard. So you're in charge. And secondly, get him a nickname can we call me T? We have one. It's Bear. 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 Oh, easy. That then. Be easy. Saying all that, I can say. Yeah. Um, very- you know, it's going to be interesting because you go from the last two coaches the Coyotes had. You went from Dave Tippett, experienced, been there, been around the league, um, coached for a very long time. The Coyotes very methodical, rules oriented, organizational. You know, you, you knew where you stood with with Dave Tippett to Rick Tockett, who can command a room. Any room he walks into. Um, again, he got experienced, won cups, played. Um, I I don't want to say intimidating, but he, he can be an intimidating inside the coach's room and inside the locker room. Um, this will be interesting to see how this goes. I mean, it's, it's nice to talk rules and I'm, you know, this is how things are going to be. But when he has to go up against Phil Kessel on a game day, we'll see. Things, things are different. I mean, I, uh, I, I think for this team at this time, having someone that, that can bring the group together and kind of us against the world. And we're all in this as a, you know, not a friend, because I don't think that's the right term, but, but we're all of us. We're battling We're we're young and we're going to fight against the, you know, the, the, the central division, the media, the, the powers that be, he's got a chance. And I think that's the approach he's going to have to take to build them to do it together. Um, It's just going to be some feeling out from experienced veteran players And a new NHL head coach, because it's not just about coaching. It's not just about here's our system. We're one, two, two through the neutral zone. It's not that. It's what time do we leave in the morning? What time are we going to practice every day? How long are practices are going to be every day? Are we going to practice every day? What are we doing about team meals? You know, is there a curfew? Uh, All of those things play into a season much more on a day-to-day basis than what's our system through the neutral zone. It's it's all of the things that come along with it. And that will be the battleground and feeling out for for a new head coach um, that they'll have to experience some of those things on the fly. I mean, that's why you look at an experienced coach like Phil Housley, who's been a head coach, can be very helpful in this situation, and the staff that he has him surrounded with. You know, you've got experienced people in a lot of those positions that I think will also help. Um but there are going to be days that that he is definitely going to be tested. And it's going to be interesting to see how he comes through it. I think it's a good choice at the, at the right time for this team. Um, I don't know if he would be the guy I'd throw into an experienced bunch looking to win the Cup next year. So as the ownership said, they can all grow together. And I think it's a good plan.
2: Yeah, and as you mentioned, we don't know what this roster is going to look like. A guy like Phil Kessel may not be around, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I'm glad you brought it up because – You know, you'll talk to a lot of coaches who've been a head coach at a different level or they've been an assistant coach in the NHL, and they can talk to people, they can get intel, but they just don't know the experience until they step into that chair. It's completely different when you are a head coach in the NHL. I asked him about this, and listen, there's no way that, that Andre can give a complete answer to this question when I ask, what do you think are the biggest differences that you're going to face? but i don 't think he understands completely yet one of the things that you brought up you can build relationships you can, you can you can try and build relationships and that 's a really good way to get your players to buy in, obviously if they know you care about them. But when you have to go lay down the law to that you know that nine year veteran who 's been around the league and you haven 't been a head coach in the NHL yet, are you going to get buy in there i, I don 't know we 'll see we 'll see how he manages that that 's just one of Many challenges that he faces as the head coach of the Coyotes. The greater one, and and this is my segue for you, Luke, is what is this roster going to like look like? What is he going to have to work with? Every coach wants to win right now. I don't think the Coyotes want to win right
1: now.
0: Yeah, that's a tough spot. I will, I will say one more thing, too, on, on just that uh, that plan to lay down the the law and have it be consistent for everybody i don't think if he can execute that i don't think that's the worst thing in the world at all in fact i think this team could certainly use that as they uh as if you're looking to rebuild around a certain core it can't just be oh this guy's making this much money so we can't you know we have to treat him differently than so and so now i agree with both you that's going to be a little bit tougher to do at the nhl level than it is at the junior level certainly uh as far as the roster i mean where do you want to start i guess and let's start with Kessel because you, you've, you've mentioned him and we've kind of tiptoed around this. I mean, is there a possibility Phil Kessel's not on the Coyotes next year? I think there's a strong possibility
2: that Phil Kessel's not on the Coyotes next year. They just paid his signing bonus or most of it. Um, some, you know, Toronto actually retained part of this salary, so they, they had to pay part of this, but he's only due $1 million in salary now for the rest of the season. The rest of his money has already been paid out and Toronto's, uh, Retain some of that as well. So whoever gets Phil Kessel now is on the hook for 850 K for the rest of this contract. That's not much to pay for a guy who can put 20 goals in, in a 56 game season. Granted, Phil comes with a lot of other stuff that you have to decide whether you want to, you know, introduce that into your roster, but he's really cheap. He can score. And I don't think the Coyotes would mind if Phil Kessel moved on. I don't think Phil Kessel would mind if he moved on. So I think there's a really good chance this happens.
1: Yeah, I don't think he fits here anymore. I I think, uh, you know, you see the rebuild is on. They're going younger. You see what the plan is. And and Phil Kessel isn't that uh, come in that mold. But I think where does he go? (sighs) He's got to go somewhere that's ready to win next season. He's got to be a guy that, you know, he's got to be willing to play a different diminished role than he's had here in Arizona. He's not going to be out on the first power play. Um, his ice time is going to be diminished, but he still is a threat to score. I, I can see on a second power play, third line on a team ready to win for 800 grand. Yeah, somebody will take a chance on that for sure. For sure they will. But you have to have a strong locker room with leader, veteran leadership to be able to to have him fit into the group.
2: The thing I can't figure out is what's the return? What can the Coyotes expect in
0: return for Phil Kessel? Yeah, that was the question I was just going to ask you. So now we're just at an impasse because I, because okay. you know, I, if you're if you're looking to move pieces to open up roster spots and to free up some money and to get prospects or picks back. That's great, but I don't want to just give Phil Kessel away for nothing because he was your leading goal scorer last season. If I if I would at least like to get a prospect or a pick back or something, but look, yeah. you're not getting a first round pick for Phil Kessel at this point yeah. in his career. So people should not expect that.
1: Yeah, the return isn't gonna be what Coyote's fans want it to be, or for the organization you know if you were talking before you wanted to lose players like that because you wanted to free up the salary well that's not an issue anymore is it ice time can you get a younger player or a prospect that ice time that he's taking up maybe but you're right if you're looking at such a small you know monetary expense can can you can you find a place for him because you got to still play you still got to play 82 games so you should you put a guy out there that might be able to score you 18 to 22 gosh it would be nice you know, you give you a chance to win at least. Um, there won't be much of a return for Phil Kessel right now. There just won't be. And I think part of that is, you know, the marketplace post-pandemic. It, it's a tough marketplace. So I'm not sure what his what he will draw in return. I still think they'll try to move him um, just because I, I think they do want to go younger, faster, and that's the direction they're headed. So I, I think they'll still try to move him. I just don't think they'll get the return that either fans or management wants.
0: A uh, next name on this list, uh, I have five that we're going to go through. So we went through Kessel. Christian Dvorak. How much of this is teams just wanting Christian Dvorak? Because when you're not asking him to be your number one center, that's still a pretty good piece. You know, assuming he gets back to winning face-offs the way he was prior to this season. Um, he does a lot of good things, and he doesn't cost a lot of money. Ideally, he's not your number one center, but uh, but you know, there's a lot of teams that would use him as their two or their three on a legitimate contender right now. The only... Argument arguments that I can see for
2: moving Christian Dvorak are he's 25. If the Coyotes' timeline is three to four years out, does it make sense to move a guy out like that who maybe is going to be sliding out of his prime around the time you're emerging? I don't know because he can still do a lot of good things for you. If Christian Dvorak is playing in the right role, which in my mind is as your number three center He's on the perfect contract. He's producing as he should as a number three center. I mean, he checks all the boxes as a number three center. And to be honest, that's why there's so much chatter about him every offseason. There are a lot of teams that want him. I think the Minnesota Wild are interested in him yet again this summer and, and seeing if if that's a possibility. He's an attractive piece. I To me, that's not the guy you move. I think that's one of the pieces that you want around that you can slide it if you can slide him into the correct role. I wouldn't be looking to move him, but I, I understand why there's a market for him.
1: Every year this conversation comes up and I, I think for the last f- five years. I mean it's 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 every season we talk about is Christian Dvorak leaving because he does just enough. He plays well at both ends, he plays two hundred feet, does the right thing, keeps his mouth shut, puts up a few goals and plays hockey the right way. So very attractive at the it- it's a dollar amount you have him for under his contract. A lot of teams want him, but it goes back to two things. One, can you get a return for him? I think maybe you can get a, you'll get a player back. But again, you got to put 20 guys on the ice for 82 games. And why would you give up on Christian Dvorak right now? I'd keep Christian Dvorak. I know he may not be the guy getting you across the finish line in three, four years. Um, but someone's got to get you on the field during those three or four years. And I think Christian Devark's a guy that trains the right way, eats the right way, prepares the right way. And as a quiet leader in the room, I keep him around. Uh, I think you're going to need, we've always talked about the coyotes up the middle of the ice and he does bring some consistency to that position. Um, I hope from the fan base that, that he's a guy that does stick around because he does quietly keep some of this together inside the room. So I think he's a piece that stays.
0: Yeah, I look, my stance is always going to be if you have a guy that could be a borderline elite number three center, I'd love to just go find the number one or number two center and push him down your lineup. I know that's a lot uh, easier said than done, but I I do wonder, he's probably one of the guys that would get you the most return. But what I would say about Dvorak is he does a lot for you, kind of like you guys just said. I don't think if you held on to him to the trade deadline or even into next summer, his value is going down. So, I mean... I'm not trading Dvorak unless somebody comes at me with a really impressive offer and I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, we're not going to win this year anyway. And we, you know, we would be silly to pass this up. Otherwise, as far as I'm concerned, Dvorak staying and and somebody's going to have to pry him away from me. Not that it's impossible to do that, but again, his value is not going to be down 12 months from now. Um, all right, this is the other one. This is the guy I really don't want to trade. And, uh, and maybe it happens. I don't know, but Connor Garland, I know teams are interested, uh, They should be. I mean, he's he's been the Coyotes' most dynamic offensive player now for, what, the last two years? And I maintain this is the sort of guy you have to have to ultimately get over the the hump and be a a perennial playoff team is you have to have a guy that you took in the fourth or fifth rounds that ends up panning out and, and contributes consistently every year. Craig, I mean, you know, certainly Petey knows better than either one of us. This guy just, he, he lives hockey. Like, I don't, I don't want to part with somebody like that unless I'm getting a really nice return. Pete, I'll let you go first on this. Yeah,
1: well, the curious thing here is going to be what kind of a contract does he sign and is he happy? He's a guy that's had a scratch and claw for everything he's received in this league. And I think that's why he has achieved the level of play that he's achieved because he's worked for it. Um, I don't think he's going to get the money he wants. I don't think he's going to get the money he wants from anybody or what he thinks he deserves. So that keeps him hungry. That keeps him working. Uh, He's a piece of the puzzle that you cannot get rid of here in Arizona right now. You can't. Because, one, he scores. Two, he plays incredibly hard. Three, the fan base love him. Fan favorite. Fans are going to go through some tough, tough times next season. Maybe not. Maybe this the stars will align and it will be a great year. But all things are pointing to this could be a tough year. You need things to grab onto as a fan, and Connor Garland is one of those things. When he touches the ice... Watch that guy. Something could happen. And and I think y- you got to have that for a team that could have trouble winning on a, on a consistent basis. So I hope he doesn't leave. He's a guy that can help the team. He can help them in the room. We talk a lot about in the room. He's a guy that is liked. Guys like playing with him. They know they're going to get the puck when they play with him. And things are going to happen offensively. And when you play with Connor Garland, you're going to get ice time. So I, I think... I think he's a guy that the Coyotes need to try to find a way to sign and I think they will. I know his name comes up a lot uh, around the league um, with a lot of teams because he does hit that sweet spot. He's not too expensive. He can score goals and he can play a little bit gritty. I mean, I, I don't want to say he's a tough player. That's not a fair statement, but he plays gritty, gets gets underneath other players' skin so he can draw those penalties. He can create offense. Um, I think he he's a guy that, is is coveted because he's checked so many boxes. So why can't he check the boxes here in Arizona? I think they'll get a deal done. And I think he plays here.
0: You know, I mean we live in a world where Montreal just made the Stanley Cup. So if you want to maintain any hope for next season of of maybe having success and going on a nice run next year, I think Connor Garland's a big piece. Uh PD before he talks, how do you feel about Craig just getting up and leaving in the middle of your uh, your conversation? I, I, I
1: feel like I felt like you know, I know no one sees it cuz no one watches. I Craig hasn't even put it up yet. He films it every week but does nothing with it. When when you get some leads, I felt like an actor where they go, stretch it, stretch it. Stretch. I was just about to hand it off to him. Gone. You know, like when the quarterback turns the wrong way and the, the, the running back goes the other way. That's what I felt like. Here you go, Craig. And he's gone.
2: I'm, I'm waiting till the point where I have enough video of you, PD, that I can actually splice it all together <laughs> and make you say anything that I want you to say. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's gotta be any day now. I know we could, probably could do uh, it. Where's Jamie, by the way, where's Jamie? I need Oop. Jamie's number.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so just uh, first of all, Like what both of you said about Connor Garland, like I agree with all of that. Like if if you're going to strip this down, okay, I get it. And honestly, I think it's what the Coyotes need to do. But you got to give fans a reason to come to the arena. I mean, you can't just have – you can have a god-awful team, and they probably want to have a god-awful team, but they probably still want fans in the stands for revenue. So Connor Garland puts butts in the season probably more than any Coyote on the roster with the possible exception of Jacob Chikrin. I'd keep that guy around. In terms of the contract, we, we all know, I reported this way back in late May, that his e- agent, Peter Cooney, had sent the Coyotes a couple of proposals, two proposals. Neither one was long in term. Like, we're not talking like six, seven, eight years. And neither one was asking for Clayton Keller money. So he's not looking for that kind of money. Is he going to get something close to one of those proposals? I don't know. Um, I think they're finally now that, now that they've got the coach hired, I think they're finally going to talk this week, which is a a good development, obviously, because there's, there's been kind of mostly radio silence on the part of the Coyotes, which I don't think was, was taken well from Connor Garland's camp. They wanted at least, uh, Hey, we're thinking about it. We'll get back to you. And and that really didn't happen up until this point. I think they're going to talk this week. The arguments that I hear against uh, for trading Connor Garland are these. He's 25. We just talked about this with Dvorak. Is he going to be a guy who's around when you finally, when your timeline hits? Is he going to be an effective player still? I don't know. We look at some of the metrics and it suggests that guys are leaving their primes at 28 or 29 now in the NHL. I still think some guys can play till 30, 32. Connor Garland, again, he's an exciting player. So you got to weigh that and the return that you might get for him because he might be the most attractive trade chip that you have on the market right now. Um, the, the other side of this that I hear this a lot and I don't know how you guys feel about this. I keep hearing you can't have Clayton Keller and Connor Garland in your top six. You can't have those two small guys in your top six. I, I cringe a little bit when I hear the size thing. I get some of the argument, but I, I hear that a lot. I'm wondering what you guys think about that.
1: Well, look at Montreal. I mean, I think you've you looked at a small forward group there that seems to be doing just fine. And across the league, it's it's not the same as it, as it used to be. Granted, you can't have nine forwards that all play the same style. I don't even talk about size. We'll talk about how they play in that same style. I get that. Um, but there's definitely room for those two kind of players. The, the difference is they need to have a Clayton Keller that plays better than he played last season. That's the Clayton Keller they need. And then there's plenty of room for both of them. Um, the way Clayton Keller played last season, inconsistent, wasn't able to produce offense uh, regularly, couldn't get to the, the front of the net, can't get to the sweet spot in the scoring area. He has to improve in all those areas if he wants to play in the, you know, the top six, the top two lines here. So I think there's room. I, I don't buy that argument at all. There's Size isn't, isn't what it used to be in this league. It's it, speed is more important. Speed and skill is more important than size. Yeah, I'm with
0: that. I mean, uh, like Petey just said, I don't, I don't want to build an entire team of smaller players because you'll get beat up in a seven game series. But you can have a couple up front as long as they play the way they're supposed to play. Connor Garland plays big. I mean, I know he's a small guy, but he plays big, and I just think you go down a dangerous path. Petey sort of alluded to it right there. You're going to get rid of Connor Garland because Clayton Keller underachieved last year. Like that's. I- <laughs> And, and I mean, that's, that's a really dicey proposition. You're going to get Garland for less than Keller makes too. And, and the thing is, you know, to your earlier point, Craig, does he fit your timeline? I mean, I, I would just say you never know in the NHL. And, and if you're telling me, I mean, worst case scenario is you sign him for four years and when you, you start to really get good, he's 29. A, garland's already proven to be a unique player like I mean there are guys in league play till they're 40. I'm not saying he's gonna play till he's 40 and be good but I think he'll still be good when he's 29 and even if he's not getting better at that point he's a guy I'd like to have around and that's worst case scenario i mean what if what if he helps you go on a run in the next year or two and things turn around quicker than you're anticipating i, I I'm not trading him unless unless Boston comes knocking at my door with a just a monster offer. Connor Garland
2: doesn't have as much NHL mileage on his body either. So there's True. not something to think about. Um, and then I want to just go to, to, to wrap up, put a bow on this, two things that you've mentioned on the last two podcasts, Luke. First of all, if, if you're going to be looking three, for three four years out the road, what, what is the impact in your locker room right now of, of moving a guy like this out? You can say, okay, we, we want to stink. We want to strip it down. But, like, who's, who's around to show these guys the way? So that when you come out of that, you know, that on the other end of that timeline, they actually know what the hell they're doing when they get there. Connor Garland is incredibly competitive. Like you said, PD he lives hockey. He does. Like these stories that I write on his offseason every year, there's such detail, there's such thought that goes into that. This guy is such a professional. He's so competitive. Aside from the fact that he's so interesting to watch, you want that guy around. You want this guy in your locker room to
0: show these guys what it looks like to be a pro. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that he, he you have a guy that thinks like a vet, and maybe that's the path he's had to take to get here, but he's also only 25. So he relates to the other guys in the locker room, and you know this. If you guys both know this, he's uh, you know, he's somebody that those guys in that locker room really like. Like he's a he's a glue guy on this team in addition to being somebody. That produces offense, which has been an issue, and and works just tirelessly every offseason at finding new ways to produce the offense. I just think he's one of the guys that you're almost you want to be building around. You know, he's he's not Jacob Chicker and he's not that, but he's he produces offense and he brings a lot of other intangibles to the table that I think you're gonna need in the next couple of years. And that's he can't like sometimes you can go out and get those guys, but you never know what you're getting when you go out and try and get like a character guy for your, your team that has been in, in the Eastern Conference or whatever for the last three years and he doesn't know any of your guys. You know Garland fits specifically with your team. Uh okay, two more. Oliver Eckman Larson. Where are we? Well, trying
2: to trade him, him being open to a trade, we've talked about all this already. I mean they they're they're permitted to go out and explore trades with, with a lot of teams, a lot more than last, last off season when it was just Vancouver and Boston. I mean, he's not going to Winnipeg or some of these lesser markets, but he's open to a trade to a lot of places, but. Can they move him? Can they move that salary in in a flat cap era when he's due to make 10.5 each of the next three seasons? To me, uh, you know, there's the dream scenario that you, OK, you move him for a, a similar player, you know, who's got a similar contract rather, uh, maybe not as much term. And then you you think, oh, we can get something out of that guy. That's that's your best case scenario. Or maybe even you, you move him to a place like Edmonton where Dave Tibbet thinks he can, you know, Uh, engineer this renaissance in Oliver ekman Larson's game. That's the ideal scenario. I don't see that happening. I think what's going to happen if they move him is they're going to have to retain a really good chunk of salary. And I don't think Coyotes fans should expect much in return for Oliver ekman Larson. The big gain for the Coyotes here is moving that salary out. That's what they're trying to accomplish. Anything beyond that is probably gravy.
1: I think last year you probably could have seen seen all Eric Larson get moved to the Vancouver Canucks at the end of that that little window, where he possibly could have been moved. But again, I think management looked at the deal coming back and said it's not enough. Um, it's going to be less this year. Um, his season wasn't wasn't what it was two years ago. I, there's so many problems here. You can't keep telling a guy we don't like you, we don't want you here. Please leave. And then two months later, go, hey, welcome back. Let's have a great year. You can't do it. You, you can't do it year after year to the kid. Um, Oliver has good hockey left in him. He's a good hockey player. He's smart. He plays hard. He wants to win. Competitive. Again, locker room loves him. I mean, he, he he's a guy you want to have on your team. My gosh, is he expensive for a team that probably isn't going to win right now. That's a, that's a big, big check to write every, every two weeks. So... Would you like to move him? Sure. You know, the great scenario is a team that's on the up and coming and on the rise, potentially winning a cup, takes Oliver. They'll take all of his salary. They'll give you a first on traffic. The Coyotes win. Oliver wins. And the team that gets him wins. It's not going to happen. I mean, Coyotes are going to have to retain salary. They're not going to get what they want in return. And Oliver, if he leaves let's hope it's a situation where he can play well again. And I know there's teams out there that if he doesn't have the role he has with this team, he can be an effective player. He just hasn't been slotted in the right place. Now, having said that, maybe the change in coaches is what he needs. Maybe that sparks him here in Arizona maybe there was you know a, a, a different style a different approach inside the room or the coach's room that, that brings Oliver back to where he's been in the past I, I don't know I, I feel really bad for Oliver these last few years because he hasn't played up to his expectations the organization wants more he wants more and now here we are all stuck you know two years of, of trying to get rid of him I, I don't know I don't know how he comes back and plays for this team again this fall I just I don't know how that can happen
2: yeah, okay. it would be. How much is that in you, to as a player, when you're hearing, "We don't want you. We
1: don't want you." As a player, <laughs> as an employee? It, you know, the listeners. If your boss tells you every day, "We want you to leave. Go find another job. Go away. Go work for somebody else," and then and they say, go "Oh, go out
2: and perform." Yep.
1: Exactly. But while you're here, go out and perform to and your and be back. happy here, and be happy here. <laughs> yes. It's yes. hard. It's like, it's like George
0: Costanza in that old episode of Seinfeld where they tell him to leave Play Now Industries, and he's like, "But if I stay, I get the whole thing." <laughs> I think. Look, I'm always nervous when you're selling low. I don't know much about the uh, the stock market, but I know you don't want to you don't want to buy high and sell low, and and that's that's risky. But I mean, there's there is certainly benefit if the Coyotes can get out from under that contract. I get that, but I, I do agree with what Petey said. In the right situation, there's definitely a scenario where the Coyotes trade him and then he thrives somewhere else. So just be ready for that. Like I, I know that people are like, "Oh, his career's over." He has not been great the last few years. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pretend that he has. But there's absolutely a scenario where the Coyotes trade him and he's very, very good somewhere else. Instantly, I just he hasn't been able to do it here. And it hasn't just been a few weeks or a few months. I would be interested to know what uh, what what Tarani thinks of him. Like if he looks and he's like, oh yeah, this guy would fit perfectly. in and what I want to do, I think you at least have to consider that. But the contract right now kind of overrides everything.
1: And we're talking about a guy that leads every single defensive category for this franchise. Like, we're not talking about hey, he's just an okay player. He he's a his name's going to be in the ring of honor someday at the River. So this is a big deal. Um, if 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 the new coach can come in here and stroke him and pet him and and say, Hey, you're the guy, and we need you to lead us through this, you know, dark times. Maybe that's enough. I I don't know, but it's going to have to come like. If, if he gets through this process without being traded, there's going to be a pretty nice dinner with Billy Arms, Bill Armstrong, um, Tournier and, uh, the ownership group. And they got to go out and wine and dine all over and say, Hey, here's where we're at. We still love you. Has to happen. Um, and maybe, maybe he does have a resurgence or a renaissance. great. Great word, by the way, Craig. That's the journalist in you. That's amazing.
2: Oh, you know, it's a French word too. So, wow. Tournier. Dropping more and more of those in. Tony. Here's a thing that you mentioned too. I think Oliver needs that kind of coach. So if, he, if they're looking at trade scenarios, like if Kevin Epp is looking at trade scenarios, that's something that, that I would consider. You can't send Oliver to a place where he's going to play for a taskmaster. He needs, I think he needs that kind of coach that is going to stroke him, that's going to tell him he's important on a daily basis. And look, you can poo poo that and say, ah, oh, it's your job to, to, uh, perform no matter what. But a coach has to understand that he has different personalities on his team and work within that. So I, again, i I think that's something Oliver needs, and if if, if they're going to move him, I, I, I hope Kevin Epp is looking at that sort of situation as well because that's
0: to me is the situation under which Oliver could thrive again. Yeah, it's reality, you're right. And there's always that pushback of like, oh, you're a professional, you shouldn't need that. Well, but he does. So you maximize the your asset right and live in reality. <laughs> They'd that's the him phrase his, right there. Maximize the asset. That's it. Yeah, um, I'm doing a lot of stock market terms. I don't even know if any of them are, oh, are fitting. It. Yeah, God, I admire you. Look at this! Look at the spacious closet I'm recording from. Where, by the way, it is 109 degrees. Blurred again. So why is it blurred? How do you do this? It's. I never
2: know where you really are, Luke. You you could be in the
0: next room from me right now. <laughs> I'm I'm your new neighbor in Monterey or wherever <laughs> you are across the street. Well, wow, wouldn't it be great, Petey, if I walked into frame behind Craig and was just like, "Hey, buddy." You know
1: exactly. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's it. We should, are we going to do this from a studio someday? Are we all going to get in the same room? Well, that's we keep talking about it. I think. Kid. I Just think saying. we can
0: do this. We all have to be here, though. We can't, Craig can't be gallivanting across the, the globe because otherwise sure, he's here, by the way. I, I, I suspect that's why it's
2: blurred, Petey. He's probably in the studio right now. Oh, the is. Studio's work, 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 work. Hardest Get work on radio.
1: He is.
0: Um, last one, Darcy Kemper. I know he's come up a few times. I don't think anybody wants to trade him in, in the sense that, I mean, your team is obviously much better with him. But given everything we've said, if there is a youth movement, This is a guy you should be able to get something for. You should have been able to get something from Colorado who would probably be playing in the Stanley Cup right now, although probably losing to Tampa anyway. But um, at the same time, you're not getting a first-round pick for a goalie in 2021.
2: Yeah, and uh, if we can beat that drum some more, why Colorado wasn't willing to give that up is beyond me. And look, I'm not saying Philip Grubauer was the reason the Avs lost, but – he was one of the reasons in that series as it progressed. He was he was worse and worse, and he's a free agent now, so they probably still need to re-sign him. But I think Peter, you said this on the last pod. Darcy Camper is the kind of guy who probably wins you a game in that series, and maybe that's enough to get you over the hump against Vegas and get you into the Cup final against Tampa. I, I still think it's crazy that a coach won't, or a GM won't give up a late first-round pick for a goal who can get you a Cup. But that has been the market. You can't get a first-round pick for a goalie, by and large. That said, Darcy Kemper has a market, and if you're really looking to strip this down, if you're really looking to get a higher pick in the next two drafts, you probably don't want Darcy Kemper in goal.
1: Wow, I hadn't thought of it that way. See, I'm looking at it from the try-to-win games. I didn't look at it from the management side trying to get a better draft pick. Darcy Kemper is a guy, his stock probably fell a little bit during the season, he was hurt a lot of the season. He was in and out. His numbers weren't great. When he came back, he didn't have the same spark that he had earlier in the year. So when the season ended, you're going, he's not going to command much in the trade market. Then come the world championships. Um, and again, it looked like, oh, goodness, he's, he's not playing well here either. Um, but lo and behold, goals on wins, wins the gold medal. He's the guy. Um, that's enough to help your, your, your market rise, you know. So yes, right. he can command more. This is the time, and just for the reasons you said, Craig, if I'm a fan, I want to see Darcy Kemper here. He's a number one. He competes. He plays hard every single night. He does give this team a chance to win, and you're still going to have to play. And so, goodness, you'd like to have a chance to win. But if you're going to be bad, you might as well be bad. Yeah. Um, if you can get a good draft pick back or a prospect or a guy that can help you out play a little bit, he is going to command as much or more than any of the five people that you just mentioned.
2: Yeah. That world championship was probably really important for Darcy Kemper. Probably important for the coyotes. If they're looking to move him because he was an elite goaltender once they hit the, the, the uh, quarterfinals or even earlier than that. I mean, his numbers were fantastic. He was, he was a big part of them winning the gold medal there. So that probably helped him. Look, look, I know a lot of people wanted to see Aiden Hill play late in the season, and you can probably make an argument that based on the way Darcy was playing, Aiden should have been in there more. But again, it's like it's like the backup quarter argument, quarterback argument you hear all the time in the NFL. Oh, it's it's the next guy. Look, he he's given he's shown something in small doses. Well, let's see what he can do with a big sample as as the number one guy. And I am curious because Aiden has shown a lot. He's shown some potential. I'd like to see him in that situation, but again. Darcy Kemper is the better goalie in the NHL right now. And that's not just uh, an opinion from one or two coaches with the Coyotes. That's league-wide opinion. And when Team Canada had to decide who they were going to put in net, they didn't put Aiden Hill in net. They put Darcy Kemper in net, and they won a gold medal. So he still has a lot of market value out
1: there. And it's interesting to see what teams on paper could use a Darcy Kemper. And you brought up Colorado. You look at these other teams that are you know, close. Vegas, Vegas doesn't need any help goaltending. Boston depends on what Tuukka does coming back. I mean, there's to find a team that's close to winning the Cup or making that next step that has room for another goaltender there aren't many teams that fit that scenario i minnesota wild is one i I didn't love their goaltending i know cam talbot played great down the stretch but i still think they need goaltending if they want to get to that next level so maybe that's a team um st louis clearly was unhappy with their goaltender this season um but they're kind of married to bennington for a little bit
2: so i think st louis is on the downslope anyway as a team i really do
1: yeah, so I, I still think there there's places for Darcy Kemper to go, and I think he can bring a return. And you could be looking at Hill Prasovtov as your tandem in Arizona for the next couple of years.
2: I, I, I mean, tell there you. A lot at Edmonton are two more teams that I think about that could use. Oh, great see, goal.
1: that's what you do. What you do? It's, it's Edmonton. That's again, <laughs> Mike Smith didn't live up expectations in the playoffs. Great. God. You're on top of it, Craig.
0: Craig, yeah. what do you think of, what, about a team like Pittsburgh, or are they happy with the hologram of Tristan Jari in that? <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> the penguins is their window still open luke
0: i don't know i mean they keep they keep going on these runs during the regular season but then they play with an empty net during the playoffs that it makes it tougher for some reason
1: we're gonna have to talk about this next time because we're talking about these coaches on a short leash And you look at pittsburgh's window man if it's open it's just barely open because they do have that strength up the middle but then you got to start talking about is mike sullivan's job um is he one of the guys that needs a quick start uh, out of the gate next year to keep his job well, it's We'll talk about it next time. When you
2: you tweet this uh, podcast out, the hologram of Tristan Jari will certainly be uh, in, um, in the chatter line when I try to promote it. It can't be the title of this podcast because it's just too far off topic from what we discussed. But
0: the hologram of Tristan Jari is a spectacular line. OK, that's good. I look forward to that. Also, sounds like a mystery movie, but that's, as, as Petey just said, another story for another time. All right. We made promises we were going to keep this under an hour. and I think we did it by about two minutes. So I'm going to I'm going to end it right now. Craig, enjoy your uh, your I don't know if you've gone on a new vacation within your vacation since we started recording, but enjoy all your vacations. Petey and I will keep working hard here where it's one hundred fifty and uh, everybody have a good time for Craig Morgan and Steve Peters. I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Trick podcast.